Hello, Ozzy. He is. He wants to join the recording. You want to say anything? <laughs> wow, that actually worked out. A friend and I have been seriously into drugs for years now. We'll call him Chris. Between the two of us, we've tried nearly every drug that could even be slightly considered recreational. Drugs many of you likely have never heard of. Then came inevitably, delirians. The day finally came where there were just no drugs left to try. After reading extensively, we turned to delirians. We meticulously grew and picked detura plants that we had grown and cultivated over an indeterminate stretch of time. The day came when the plant was ready to be ingested. We separated a significant portion of seeds, 600 apiece. Looking back now, the dose was absolutely ridiculous, and we are very, very lucky to be alive. I should be a dead man right now. The mentality behind the dose was something along the lines of, we're too experienced not to do this much, and our bodies are too used to drugs, etc. Essentially, we were too tough for Datura, and thus, took a very stupid dose and a very stupid risk. Day 1. Jen, a friend of mine, came over to sit with us. We ingested 600 seeds each as quickly as possible and washed them down with a glass of milk. We then locked all the doors and windows to my house as to prevent any drug-induced rampages, police run-ins, or worse. Chris and I plopped down in front of my new big screen and began watching a movie. About an hour into it, I started to feel the effects. The dry mouth came on, as another trip reports. I had no idea it would be this strong. My legs felt like rubber and my body was completely out of whack. I looked over to Chris to tell him it was kicking in and I found even this simple task disorienting. He confirmed the same experience thus far. In what was the stupidest move of the century, Jen decided she was bored and that she would take 150 seeds. Now, she's had her experiences with drugs before, but she was our sitter. Three hours later. As time passed, it seemed to stretch. Much like a DXM trip, I lost all reference of time. The only indicator was a digital clock, which would have been impossible to read if it weren't for the large readout. The movie had since finished, and the television was airing some show about cops. I honestly couldn't tell you what it was I was watching, but all the lights and colors melded into this visual supernova that I could not stop staring at. Chris grunted strangely, and I looked over to see him sliding off the couch. I became frightened because at that very moment, the room had vanished. We were stranded on a couch in a burning hallway. I grabbed Chris and pulled him back onto the couch so that he wouldn't get burned. He looked at me with massive pupils and spoke an unrecognizable string of words. Time slowed as he spoke. His voice echoed in slow motion and his pupils expanded beyond his eyes, spiraling toward me. I was intrigued at what I was seeing. When Jen grabbed my shoulder from the other couch, she was engulfed in flames and ran from the couch up into my bedroom. I laid on my bed trying to make sense of everything when I saw a man looking in through my window. Unable to make out his face, 
I was frightened. It was dark outside, and I was on the second floor. Impossible, but I believed it. Jen opened the door to my room. She shouted something and laid next to me. Her face twisted and turned as I stared, and I couldn't remember where we were. I must have blacked out because three hours had passed and I was still lying with Jen in my bed. Only now, we were both naked. Did we have sex? Why was I naked? What happened? I had no explanation, but somehow, I didn't seem to need one. We tried to have sex, which is weird in itself, since we had never so much as kissed before this. I was too far gone to know what I was doing, and then I went black again. Another three hours later, I came to, sprawled on my bedroom floor. I was now by myself. I noticed a residue on my body, leading me to believe that we had sex, but Jen was nowhere to be found. I walked into the kitchen looking for her, but there was no kitchen beyond my bedroom door. I stepped into a supermarket, only it was closed, and there was no food on the shelves. I ran back downstairs into the TV room where I had last seen Chris. The room was black. I saw nothing but a body hovering in midair. It was Chris, who seemed to be sleeping. I decided I needed a cigarette. Interestingly enough, I had one in my ear at the time. I smoked it and took another one from my now reloaded ear. Where are these coming from? I grew tired, but I still hadn't found Jen. I walked upstairs, and immediately upon opening the door, I needed to lie down. I thought I was in some kind of endless field and that I was sleeping on the grass. There I slept for almost 20 hours. I awoke, still hallucinating. I didn't know where I was or how I had gotten there, but it seemed to be a house that wasn't my own. I proceeded into the living room to come across a naked woman, Jen. She sat in her chair, talking to nobody. When I entered the room, she saw me and immediately took off running. Where did she go? Who was she? I needed to leave. I was in a strange house and I was stuck. I ventured into what I thought was a bedroom. It turned out to be a balcony. On the balcony, I found a man's clothing, but no man. Were these mine? I looked out into the backyard and there on the ground was a man, naked. Somebody had fallen. Luckily, they landed in the water. I proceeded into the next room, intrigued as if I were investigating some deserted mansion. A radio hummed, though I saw no radio. I noticed a sliding glass door to the back and I tried to open it. This was a strange door and I couldn't seem to get it open. I felt trapped. I knew it was some kind of illusion. I jumped through it and I was right. There was nothing there, and I was finally outside, free from the prison. There was a truck on the side of the road that I noticed from where I was standing. I decided to hitch a ride and try to get back home. I jumped into the bed of the truck and waited. Shortly thereafter, the driver got in, and we were off. I laid still, so not to attract attention, when all of a sudden, a friend of mine from high school appeared. I hadn't seen him in ages but he was going to blow my cover. I remembered I was naked and I didn't want him to see me. I tried to close my eyes, but he was still there. I shouted and tried to struggle with him, but he disappeared. 
The truck stopped. I was found out. The driver got out and saw me. He had no facial features, no mouth, no nose, and no eyes. I jumped from the bed and began to run, naked and scared. This is my last memory. There is no further evidence as to what happened after this point, but I awoke hours later, finally, somewhat sober. I opened my eyes, and there were three people staring at me. I was naked, bleeding, and covered in my own feces. I huddled in the corner of whatever room I was in. It was a family. They found me and tried to keep me safe. I was in southern New Hampshire after starting in Maine. I was almost three hours from my home with no recollection of how I got there. The family offered me clothing and enough money to take the bus back home. The Aftermath I returned home to find my house in ruins. The sliding glass door I had imagined was my bedroom window. Chris was lying on the ground in my yard after falling from the second floor. He had no clothing on. He was alive, but he broke his right leg. I found Jen in my bathtub, still naked and sleeping. My life was hysteria for 48 hours. I'm not sure how all three of us survived that trip. Whenever I didn't have the money for heroin, I would get some methamphetamine from one of my roommates. I was pretty compulsive about the way I did meth, treating it more like a cocaine substitute. Over an eight month period, I was sometimes shooting up two or three times daily, sometimes just picking the shit out of the carpet and shooting that. I was really only in it for the rush of the injection, the subsequent 12 hours after the head rush being altogether not my cup of tea. I never really got into staying up multiple days on meth. I generally had heroin to sleep on towards the end of the day, and methamphetamine has always been my least favorite drug. Unfortunately, for eight months, I had an almost unlimited supply of this stuff. The effect meth created was something of a subtle euphoria, along with an unwavering energy. A high dosage would make me cough as it shot up my neck into my brain. Meth always made me feel like some sort of superhero, all of my senses honed to perfection, mind racing at a thousand miles a minute, trying to talk produce incoherent rapid speech similar to a manic episode. I might clean for a while, or wash the dishes, or do something I would generally hate doing otherwise. But in the end, I would always come back to compulsively playing video games, or watching sleep deprivation hallucinations crawl all over the floor. I'll use the term carpet monsters, as it is the only way I can even come close to describing what I was seeing. A methamphetamine overdose pins me to the floor in panic, my heart beating uncontrollably fast, hands going numb. I become very sure I'm going to die. The three times this happened, I was lucky enough to have heroin within the hour. Heroin always seemed to slow my heart rate and knock my ass out long enough to get past it. The only times I ever overdosed were times when I shot up large dosages within two to four hours of each other. Over the course of a few months, I began to notice every time I would get high, with meth exclusively, I would begin hearing voices. Sometimes they would be three drunken people in the next apartment, or it would be a bunch of police officers in the apartment on the other side of the building. Other times it would be my roommates whispering about me on the other side of my apartment. 
I began to believe I had some sort of meth-induced supersonic hearing ability. I was something of a prick about this. I would demand to know why my roommates were talking shit about me. They would stare at me like I was some sort of nutcase. So after a while, I took the hint and just stopped bugging them about it. On the particular day I had my psychotic break, I shot meth once in the morning and then again towards the afternoon. I didn't have any heroin. I was pissed off and spent most of the day gasping for air while dunking my head in cold water. Towards the evening, my roommates left me alone in the apartment for whatever reason. I lay on the only couch we had and stared at the ceiling, talking to the voices of the three drunken people through my wall and trying to feel less dope sick. We talked about nothing in particular, just generally about how good it was to be high. It was a pretty pleasant conversation at first, then the voices changed dramatically. It was as if the volume of the voices had turned up 10 decibels and I was suddenly able to hear every single word they were saying. The two voices I heard sounded like they were using one of those creepy voice-changing devices you see in movies, very deep and authoritarian. They began by demanding to know everything about my roommates. Completely shocked, I began to spill everything. Then they informed me that they were with the government, that I was telepathic, and that I was to be taken to a secret military base to be trained and put to work for them unless I did exactly what they said. I was suddenly absolutely convinced what I was hearing was real. At this point, they mentioned I had five minutes to gather all of my things to leave the apartment. I mentioned I wanted to see my dad and they told me to go to his house. They also told me to not try and contact my roommates for any reason whatsoever. So at this point, they were threatening me as if they thought it would make me find things faster and I'm tearing up the apartment violently, looking for both of my keys and jacket. After 4 minutes and 30 seconds, they said I would be killed if I didn't leave immediately. So I grabbed another button-down shirt, and I put it over the button-down shirt I was already wearing, and I bolted from the apartment without locking the door. I started walking. They began asking me if I was tweaked, so as a direct result, I began to act like I was tweaked. I would babble uncontrollably to myself out loud and I would walk with a swagger or do other bizarre insane things like spitting into my hand and throwing it. It was not so much that I wanted to act that way or even that I felt like acting that way. I was putting on a show for these people who very seriously wanted to abduct and erase my memory or just kill me if I were really telepathic. After three or four miles, I got too tired to put on a show anymore and I began to act very rational with the exemption of being unable to either stop them or believe they weren't real. I also believe that to any outside onlookers, I looked very fucked up. But I felt very rational, so I tried talking with them rationally. At this point, they became convinced they had to pick me up. So I agreed with them. I decided it probably wouldn't be so bad to live on a military base and do government work in the name of such a novel cause. They seemed to like this response and told me I was doing the right thing. So we began doing some exercises to strengthen my abilities, which fortunately became impossible because I began systematically blocking them from my memory. I later decided that this was probably an effect of the methamphetamine wearing off. While I couldn't block them from my memory completely, the volume seemed to turn down quite a bit. 
At this point, they told me to wait for a car that was to come get me. So after walking close to 10 miles, I sat down on the ground to begin working on keeping the connection open to avoid being killed. Somewhere around this time, the voices made the huge mistake of telling me they were planning on erasing my memory. So in a fit of a panic, I said the names of my roommates. Instantly, my roommates were on loudspeakers, asking what was up. Once I told them, my roommates became very concerned and told me to get away as fast as humanly possible. Also to not look at any street signs or landmarks. They also told me to turn off, something that would take too long to explain, but supposedly, non-drug using telepaths have the ability to turn on and off their powers. When they found out that I couldn't, they told me to go to sleep immediately, as a way of severing the connection. So I ran another 10 miles back across the city and turned in the opposite direction of my apartment. I really didn't know where I was going because I was looking down the whole time. But I ran into a crackhead, his name was George or something like that, and he wanted to know if I wanted to smoke crack. I really didn't, after all, I didn't have any money. Plus, I've never smoked crack and I never will. So instead, we smoked a cig and talked a while. I mentioned I wanted a place to sleep and he told me about a company van parked outside one of the buildings nearby that always left their window open. He couldn't fit through, but at the time, I was skinny enough to fit through that tiny window. So he gave me a boost through, and I opened the doors from the inside. I had to convince him not to steal the van stereo system. I figured there might be a pretty good chance of me getting arrested if I was caught, and I didn't need theft added to the trespassing charges. He left shortly after I convinced him. So I laid down in the back of the van, on the floor, shivering all over. The meth was wearing off, but the voices were still going strong. I tried to ignore them and fall asleep, but it was too cold. To my surprise, George came back with a blanket. I thanked him about a dozen times before he left. At this point, I managed to fall asleep. When I woke up, it was just after dawn. I had only slept for about four hours, and it had been a restless sleep my body aching all over the place from the long walk I had made the previous night. Out of fear of being caught, I quickly relocated to some bushes nearby where I tried to get a little more rest. After about 45 minutes of lying in the underbrush, I decided to make the long walk home. The voices were still with me, threatening me and telling me that if I went to my apartment, I would be killed. At this point, I was convinced being dead wouldn't be so horrible and just ignored them. I thought about begging on the way back, but didn't because my pride held me back. I got weird looks from all the people waiting for their buses, just another junkie without a life to them. They wrote me off as soon as they saw me. Anyhow, I closed on my apartment and when I got there, I was surprised to find my roommates already there. I told them about what happened and they try to console me and let me know that meth causes voices sometimes and that the best thing to do is to simply ignore them. Of course, being in the trenches of paranoid psychosis, I didn't believe them. In my head, they were telling me they couldn't say the truth out loud because then they would be on the hit list as well. I did some heroin as soon as we finished talking and promptly passed out for 12 hours. In the aftermath of this first psychotic break, I had several more intense psychotic episodes, 
sometimes hallucinating black trucks or men in masks chasing me. With no doubt in my mind that the hallucinations were real, the only thing I could do was panic. It was only after that I went through detox that I was sure these voices were the product of methamphetamine psychosis, and even then, I still wasn't convinced 50% of the time. When detox failed to get rid of the voices, I became concerned and had myself committed to a mental hospital where I was diagnosed with psychosis SOC, meaning it might be schizophrenia. What separates schizophrenia from amphetamine psychosis is people with amphetamine psychosis experience a full range of emotions and are able to realize what they are hearing is not real. Schizophrenics cannot tell the difference between reality and what they hear or see. The biggest difference, however, is that methamphetamine psychosis will generally only last up to a few months. In my case, it has been about two and has since shown signs of dissipating. Treatment for methamphetamine psychosis involves taking antipsychotics as well as abstinence from all mind-altering chemicals. If I so much as take a puff of marijuana, the voices come back with fierce intensity. At one point, I was demanding my dad's gun to shoot invisible people before wrapping my head in tinfoil and running 15 miles. There was a film on at the cinema and I thought I would take some deter to make things interesting. I'd read something on deter a while back saying how the user hallucinates and that these hallucinations seem real. I thought that if I took some, then the 3D hallucinations would complement the film and make for a great experience. So I chewed up a handful of the seeds before going in to watch the film, Scary Movie. Anyway, I was disappointed. All that happened was that the damn seed sent me to sleep about halfway through the film. I woke up towards the end and I felt that I had wasted my time. However, when I went to get up, my balance went and I staggered down the steps of the cinema, wondering what the hell was going on. Feeling disoriented, I struggled to gain my balance and thought that maybe some food would do me good, so I headed towards a Burger King. I had trouble walking straight and I remember one person saying as I passed, he looks like he's on drugs and that person's companion saying, yes you can always tell. This did not fill me with confidence as I headed into the burger bar. I decided to order a large extra value meal and sat down with my tray of food. I did not feel hungry but felt that I should eat to give my body the ability to cope with the effects of the seeds. My first mouthful was a real effort. My saliva had almost dried up. I managed one more mouthful, but on the third mouthful, the food just lodged in my throat and it took a huge mouthful of coke to shift it. I noticed now that an old woman and her grandson who were sitting opposite had stopped eating and were now just watching me. I happened to look down at this point and saw that my hands were bright red. The thought came to me that something weird and powerful was happening to me and I should get the hell home as quick as possible. I quickly left and staggered through the crowded streets to the station for my train home. I remember thanking my lucky stars that the train was on the platform and due to depart in a couple of minutes. I sat down on the train and breathed a sigh of relief. The train departed, unfortunately, sleep was overtaking me. On route to my stop, I drifted in and out of sleep. 
What was worse was that on waking, I found myself muttering gibberish to myself. I quickly shut myself up, saw that a couple of people on the crowded train looking at me, unresolved to stay awake, only to fall asleep again. One time I woke, the train was just pulling into my stop, and thanking my lucky stars again, ran for the doors. Well, I made the short walk back home. However, the home was a nearly deserted old nursing home, and not the most welcoming of places. As I walked up the corridor to the lift, I saw a man walking his dog. Then the man and the dog walked into a wall and disappeared. This was one particular moment that I will remember till the day I die. But I didn't want to hang around, I just wanted to get to bed and sleep off the effect of the seeds. Outside my room, a group of beings greeted me. I quickly realized that although they looked similar to us, they were not human. One male had a round head and an absolutely huge smile that suggested a mouth containing about a hundred teeth. Another male had a face that smoothly merged into his neck with no chin whatsoever. A female had some type of microchip eyes. These characters greeted me telepathically. They then escorted me up the corridor and pointed out a hieroglyphic drawn in some exposed plaster on the wall and said that they had done that themselves. Around this time, I remember looking at the hallway carpet as I stretched up the hall thinking, wow, what a huge long dress that lady was wearing. Everything gets kind of hazy from now on. Several details are clear, however. Soon after I entered my room, two different beings presented themselves who communicated telepathically with each other. Some telepathic thoughts entered my head on occasions, the details of which I cannot unfortunately remember. I remember feeling extremely inferior and loudly stated that it was an unfair situation because I was having to rely on speech. I did telepathically communicate hello to one of them at one point. I got a look from both of them as if I had been making a rude gesture towards them before more telepathic communication was sent to me a few seconds later. I remember feeling that I should show some hospitality to my guests and went to the kitchen to fill a kettle to make some tea for them. I returned to my room, made two mugs of tea, and asked the being who sat in my armchair if he would like a mug. This being just sat there and looked at me. I put the tea down and said that if he wanted it, he should help himself to it. Shortly after, or maybe before, I was walking in the corridor when I saw more beings lurking in a dark unlit section of the corridor. I felt extremely uneasy about this and went to call on a friend who lived on the floor below. But just as I was approaching his door, I noticed more of these beings and I turned back. I hammered on the door of another friend. She answered and asked, what is it? My mind then went blank and I paused before blurting how the cleaner had emptied my cupboard of food. I don't remember her response, but she swiftly closed her door, leaving me in a state of panic. I decided to phone security. I told them how there were a couple of intruders on the premises. The security man put me through to the police. I said that there were a couple of dodgy characters in the building who were near me now. However, just as I was saying this, I began to feel some warmth to the beings and began regretting my call. The police had asked if they had made any direct threat to me, to which I replied that, well no, they hadn't exactly. I then said that they probably had much more serious things to deal with and apologized. The policeman said a patrol car would come around anyway. 
I put the phone down and winced. I really didn't want the police to interfere and possibly endanger my new friends, as I had suddenly come to regard them. After a few minutes, I made my way to the front lounge where the TV was on. I had now realized that it was very late, in the middle of the night. There were two more beings in the lounge, watching TV. I peeked through the curtains and saw to my relief a patrol car pulling away. I turned back to the room and saw that the beings had stopped watching TV and were looking at me. I was now feeling thirsty and drank from the tap at the edge of the lounge. I tried to engage these beings in conversation, but they ignored me and just watched TV. I sat down and joined them. They communicated with each other, but ignored me. Occasionally, one or the other would vanish. I would turn to find one of them gone and seconds later reappear. By now, nothing was surprising me. Meanwhile, the last program of the night had finished and there was just a text information service on the TV screen, as is normal for 4.30 in the morning. I joked to one of the beings whether he was a fan of the night screen information program. No response. I went back to my bedroom. The two beings who had been there originally were still there. They were now vanishing and reappearing. As time went on, they began to vanish for longer and longer periods, and I knew that they would leave for good soon. After a while, there was only one left, and he looked a bit sickly. I felt a little helpless that there was nothing I could do to help, and eventually, he disappeared for good. Feeling myself left on my own finally, my thought was unsure of what exactly reality was. I did feel privileged to have such an experience and lucky that I made it home. The friend whose door I hammered on told me later that it had been 3.30 when I had knocked, 12 hours after swallowing the seeds. If there had been people around while I had been prowling the corridors, then who knows what might have happened. I also think that there may have been a lucid dream element somewhere. I have now started doing exercise to facilitate lucid dreams and on one occasion, as I was falling asleep, as my mind was throwing up hypnotic images, up popped one of the beings, one of the types with no chin. Well, I shot awake in bed with a start and it took me a while to settle again. However, I suppose that if I manage to regularly repeat this, then it will be less of a surprise and I may engage consciously with this being sometime. I would definitely recommend Atura to those broad-minded enough to cope with the otherworldly happenings. Was I flirting with schizophrenia? Or was I engaging with the extraterrestrial beings? Whatever it was, it certainly opened my mind and I will definitely be taking it again once more. Once I have got to grips with lucid dreaming. This is the intuition telling me what to do now. I smoke weed regularly and tried both acid and salvia although both didn't really have a big effect on me. I didn't get any effect from salvia at all, so I just suppose that psychedelics do not work properly on me, for whatever reason. However, I am always trying to broaden my mind with any drugs I can get my hands on to see whether something will actually work someday. Since I had heard of the psychedelic effects of nutmeg from various sources, I was curious whether this would give me something. So one evening, after a few joints with friends, about four joints, but weed funnily enough affects me very strongly, 
I was really baked and alone in my apartment and ended up thinking that taking the whole bag of nutmeg, which I actually had in my kitchen for cooking, might be a good idea. It was about two in the morning, so I thought I would take the nutmeg, enjoy the trip for one or two hours, and then go to sleep. The nutmeg was already grated and there were 18 grams in the bag. I decided to do some research on the internet first, but couldn't find anything on the right dosage. I found a few threads where it said that you had to take a few ounces, so I decided to just chug down the whole bag. In retrospect, this was very irresponsible, and I will never do something like this again. But at the time, it sounded reasonable in my head. To cover up the bitter taste of the nutmeg, I mixed it with half a cup of soy milk. After taking the first gulp, I wanted to puke. However, I forced myself to drink the rest in one go, which was a good idea because with the soy milk, the bitterness only came as an aftertaste. After some time, approximately 10 minutes, I felt like the weed high was getting stronger. I felt more relaxed and very lightheaded, but also, my stomach hurt and I felt sick all the time. However, I decided not to make myself throw up. Then my vision became blurry and I got very sleepy. My eyes could not focus on anything. Every item in the room looked like it was sort of a liquid, not in a fixed shape, but constantly changing shape slightly when I looked at it. I was starting to feel very disconnected from the world and my own body. I realized that I was starting to get paranoid, not scared of anything in particular, but just scared in general. It was starting to become a really unpleasant high. I tried to read a book, but it was impossible. So was watching TV. For some reason, I did not think of listening to music, but decided to go to bed instead. At least, that is all I remember. The next day, I woke up feeling like I had the worst hangover of all time. My stomach hurt like it was trying to kill me. Every time I stood up, I lost sight, like when you get up too quickly and don't see anything for a few moments. I also felt extremely dizzy. I tried to look up on the internet what the lethal dose of nutmeg was, and after finding that I had definitely not reached that, I got a little bit more relaxed. I wrote to my friends on Facebook, who I planned on meeting that day, that I was not feeling well. Writing was difficult, my eyes were still not focusing properly. Then, I made myself throw up, which really didn't help. I drank lots of water and ate something, but the stomach pain did not go away. Moreover, my head felt like my brain was just too big, pressing against my skull from the inside. My head also felt very hot, like I had a fever, very unpleasant. I lay down in my bed with some tea and tried to sleep through the whole thing until I was feeling physically and mentally better. Then the real paranoia started. It was about 12 hours after I had taken the nutmeg and I had read on the internet that the trip could last up to three days. I was really tired all afternoon, constantly slipping in and out of sleep. When I was awake, my heart often started pounding madly and random body parts started hurting, making me think that I was going to have a heart attack. I tried to mentally control my heartbeat to get it down to a lower pace which luckily worked a little bit. I was starting to accept that I was going to die. I really was not in a logical, responsible state of mind. I started imagining what my friends would do at my funeral and stuff. My chest and back hurt. My heart was beating way too fast. 
For some reason, I began focusing on my breathing, and I got so afraid that I would just stop breathing if I didn't constantly focus on it. For about 15 minutes, I kept on thinking, in, out, in, out. Or maybe it was just a few seconds, I don't know. Time didn't really run normally. I tried desperately not to fall asleep since I was sure that I was not going to wake up again if I did. After some time, I did fall asleep though, after I had assured myself, with the rest of the logic I had left, that I had not taken enough nutmeg to die from it. For hours, I was constantly slipping in and out of sleep until I managed to sleep through for a little while. I woke up at about 7pm feeling a little better, meaning that my heart was not racing anymore and my mind felt a bit more in this world. I managed to keep myself from getting scared that I might not escape the state of mind anymore because I knew how paranoid I would get. I met up with my friends, luckily I didn't have to leave the house and smoked a joint with them which helped a bit against the pain. The whole trip wasn't completely over until about three days after and even after four days I still got a funny visual where I looked at the ground and the stones looked like they were all underwater. But I was at least able to enjoy that because I was not in pain anymore. Now, one week later, I'm still feeling a bit weird. I feel like I cut a few strings that connected me to this world and this reality. I am constantly restless and I get emotional way easier than I did before. I also feel depressed at random times and without particular reason, which did happen to me before but not as frequently. I also find it slightly harder to focus on things with my thoughts. I am pretty sure though that I'm gradually getting back to normal again. I don't think that I will ever take this stuff again, and if I do, only under supervision. I regret sleeping through most of the trip, but I know that it would not have been pleasant if I had been awake. I also wish I could remember more of what I felt and what I saw while I was on it, but it is very hard because I was half asleep most of the time. The whole thing just feels like a dream in my memory, like I had dreamt for three days straight. It was around 2.15 a.m. when we initially dosed up. We eyeballed it, and I'm guessing it was around 60 milligrams each. I will refer to us as A, S, and D. S and I had taken 5-MeO-DIPT before, and D had never taken it, although he was familiar with DXM and mushrooms. Around 3, we decided to go on a walk. D started talking very neurotically and was being very loud. We tried to calm him down, but he started trying to run away from us. When we caught him, he started attacking us and screaming. We decided that this was not the best for us, trying to keep a low profile that night. We are all honor students, and we were worried about our reputation. After we realized D was totally losing it, and we were fearing for his and our safety, we made the decision that we should try to knock him out. At this point, D had split into several personalities, one of them trying to run off like a scared animal, oftentimes running on all fours, the other viciously tearing at our throats, another talking in a cool and controlled voice saying to knock him out. S then tried punching him in the back of the head a few times, no reaction. He then tried hitting him over the head with a rock. All this did was turn to make the situation bloody. 
After hitting D with the rock, he fell over and then got up. He looked at me, covered in blood, with the look of someone possessed. I could see D's soul through his eyes, trapped in his own mind. I then wrestled him into a stairway of the apartments we were in. S was banging on doors trying to get people to come out and help and to call the police and paramedics, but they all seemed too scared to help. Finally, the paramedics showed up, but after seeing how violent D was being to me, they were scared to assist and waited for the police. When the police finally showed up, they tackled both of us and then D began trying to fight them off. It took about three minutes and six officers trying to contain him to get restrained. D was trying his hardest to hurt them and escape. The police were beating him with knife sticks and macing him almost non-stop. They gave him a fire test to see if he responded to pain, which he didn't. There I was, drenched in blood in the stairway of some crappy apartments, watching my best friend, a normally good student and kid, trying to take on an entire police force covered in blood switching between different personalities and screaming as loud as possible, sometimes screaming my name. The police then started asking questions about why he was bleeding and put S in handcuffs, saying that if D died, he would be charged with murder. I tried telling them what he took and they couldn't understand. There was one fireman actually listening to me and allowing me to explain what tryptamines are and what they should do and resources they could check. But all the police were just screaming at me and telling me to quit being a smartass. They were very confused about the 5 and the 5-MeO-DIPT and kept saying that he took 5 of something. I then went and got S's roommate and when I came back outside, all of the cop cars, ambulance and the fire trucks were gone with no sign of the incident happening. I then called my mom and Dee's mom to let them know what happened. We drove down to the hospital and found S and D. S was in the lobby. They had shot him up with Valium and he had no idea what had happened or why he was there. D was in a bed strapped down screaming and jumping on the bed up and down. He was yelling my name, but when the doctor had me stand over him, he didn't recognize me. In the end, D ended up being fine, except for all of his physical injuries from being hit with a rock and from a five minute police beating. He looked like he had been in a car crash, not a drug overdose. He remained in the hospital for three days. S ended up not being charged with anything, and now all that is left is a bunch of upset parents. D doesn't remember any of this, and it honestly seems like he doesn't believe us when we tell the story. After doing this, I can't stress enough how dangerous drugs can be. This was the most scary night of my life and I keep seeing the images of us soaked in blood and D screaming and attacking everyone. I will never touch drugs again, and for those of you who do, please be careful on your doses. I'm guessing we all took around 60 milligrams and we all reacted differently. I was tripping, but I remained very aware of the situation. S just stopped paying attention and sort of passed out. D went on an insane rampage, worse than any PCP story I have heard of. Be careful with tryptamines, they can be very dangerous and potentially life-threatening. It was 1999, I was about 14 years old at the time. 
Me and some of my girlfriends were out drinking behind this old building, as we often did on weekends. It was about 9 or 10 p.m., and one of the girls began to get sick and started vomiting. After this, most everyone went home, but I wasn't ready to do that, so I decided to walk to one of my guy friends' house. We'll call him Jay. Once I got to his house, I realized he had people over. It wasn't a big party, just five or six of his friends hanging out. He invited me in, so I accepted and joined them. I was a little uncomfortable at first, as I was the only girl there, but eventually, I relaxed and all was good. Jay's brother popped me open a beer, and I sat at the kitchen table and joined in on the conversation. Jay had a homemade plastic bottle pipe, you know the ones with the hole cut in the side of the bottle and tinfoil used to make the bowl, and asked me if I wanted to try it. At this point, I wasn't a huge weed smoker. I'd occasionally have a puff here or there, but nothing big. But I was up to try anything, so I excitedly accepted. He loaded the bowl and told me that when he said go, to inhale as much as I could. So he lit the lighter and held it to the weed, and I had my lips to the bottle. Once the weed was smoking, he said, go. And as I inhaled, he put his mouth over the bowl and forced the smoke into the bottle and in my lungs. I'm sure there is a specific name for this. He may have called it something, I don't remember though. It was an intense rush and everyone sitting around the table clapped and cheered like I had done something amazing. Jay asked if I wanted another and this continued for a total of four times. I was blitzed, baked, and flying high. Anyway, as we sat at the table and everyone was chatting, drinking, and laughing, I was in my own little world. My mind was getting cloudy and my body becoming incredibly heavy. I got up from the chair I was sitting in and made my way to the couch in another room. I lied down and felt like I was going to pass out. I started to feel overwhelmed and kind of nauseous. I guess you could say it was the start of your typical green out. So I forced myself off the couch and back to the kitchen table. They had pulled out one of the single-seated armchairs from the family room out earlier to make enough room for everyone to sit, so I decided to curl up in this chair. I was laying there with my eyes closed, trying my best to navigate my way through a high I've never felt before. And I remember someone had came and sat on the arm of the chair and started asking me questions. I don't even remember the questions, but I found it really irritating, so I used my foot to push him off the chair, and everyone laughed. He got back up and sat again, so I pushed him again. At this point, we were all laughing at this, even him. But here's where things get wild. I must have passed out because everything went black. I remember hearing someone shout something about, she's going to throw up. Then I passed out again. Jay must have picked me up and began carrying me to the bathroom that was downstairs because next time I woke, I was in his arms headed towards the stairs. I pass out again and look around and everything was dark and silent. The music was gone, there were no people. I listen and can hear his footsteps, but it sounded like he was walking on gravel. I came to for a split second and everything comes rushing back. The music, the chatter, the brightly lit house. I can see his face and then I'm in his arms headed towards the stairs. Then in a second, it's gone again. It's pitch black. I can hear the gravel footsteps and I look up at the person and see a man in a black hoodie with his hood up. I can't pick out his face because it's too dark, but I can see the hood over his head. 
I can also see a night sky and trees all around. FYI, the house I was in had all white walls and a pale gray tile floor. I start to panic. I start kicking and punching and freaking out. Jay, who has no clue what's going on, holds me tighter and tried to get me to the bathroom as fast as he could. But the tighter he held on, the more I panicked. As we headed down the stairs, the dark man carrying me then tries to stuff me in what looks like a big burlap sack. I am petrified, thinking he's going to kill me. Jay must be yelling my name because for a split second, I come back again and he's telling me to calm down and that he's just bringing me to the bathroom. But then I snap out again and I'm in the sack being taken somewhere. I managed to fight my way out of the sack or what was actually out of his arms and I'm at the bottom of the stairs. I know this because I came to for a second and can see I'm on the gray floor at the bottom of the stairs. While sitting there, I'm back in the woods and all around me were big jungle-like trees and it's pitch black. I feel around the floor and what I'm looking at is the ground. I can feel the dirt and sticks in my hands. I can hear the leaves of the trees rustling in the air. Then I can hear someone's footsteps crunching across the dirt. I look up at this huge man, again, dressed in all black, and I could not for the life of me pick out his face. I start crawling away from him, and he grabs my ankles. I start screaming, loud blast of utter fear. He begins to drag me across the ground. Again, I came to for a second and see that Jay is just trying to get me into the bathroom. I can see the look of concern and fear on his face and I hear him tell me that I have to calm down. Then I'm out again, and back being dragged by the ankles across the ground, and when I look back, I can see I'm being dragged toward the entrance of a rock cave. This man is dragging me into a cave. When I get to the entrance, I grab the rock on each side of me that made up the entrance of the cave. So while being dragged feet first into the cave, I am now holding onto the cave entrance with both hands, fighting to keep myself from being completely taken in there. Another split second of clarity happens, and I look, and I'm actually holding onto the door frame of the bathroom, and Jay has me by the feet, trying to get me in there. Something I learned after was while all this was happening, I was also vomiting everywhere. In my moment of clarity, I looked toward the stairs, and I could see that at this point, all the guys that were there with us were all standing in the stairway, looking down at us, dumbfounded, wondering what in the hell was happening. And to make it even worse, Jay lived in a duplex, so he was extremely worried that the neighbors were going to call the cops because of the screaming. At one point, he put his hand over my mouth to try and muffle the screaming, but in my state of psychotic delusion, I was pretty sure that was the moment I was going to be murdered. I finally managed to get away from the man trying to kill me. Actually, Jay just let my feet go, and I crawled to the middle of the floor, and when I came to, my whole body was convulsing. I hear someone exclaim, is she having a seizure? And then, it stops. My body relaxes, I stay in reality, and I'm exhausted. Jay helps me up off the floor, helps me to a bed, and I pass out. Next thing I remember was Jay waking me, saying my parents were there. It was 3am and apparently, my parents had been out looking for me since about midnight. I get up, go get in my parents' car, and they bring me home. Not one word was ever said about the whole event after. It was the most bizarre, terrifying experience of my life. 
and even after 20 plus years, I will never forget it. This is my most recent experience on Phenibut, Kratom, and Brivaracetam. First, let me provide you with a brief history. I've done over 90 different psychoactive substances and plants, some of which gripped me and took me for a long, vicious ride. Some of those being methamphetamine, Adderall, DXM, cocaine, and a few others. I'm not like a stereotypical addict. I'm well-spoken and dressed. I hold a job and am a very social person with plenty of friends. Please take what I have to say seriously. Let the following story be a lesson or a cautionary tale. I did this so you don't have to. Phenibut is incredibly useful. However, for me, it became a serious, life-threatening addiction. I've taken Phenibut many times over the last decade, never has it led to addiction. My story starts about five months ago. I recently gained an interest in Phenibut after I'd been sober for around a year. At the time, I didn't know how to handle life. I was suffering from minor depression and lacked the motivation to do anything. I love people, however, I couldn't get out of my own head enough to go out and socialize. Phenibut appeared to be like a minor boost, just enough to help me do the things I wished to do in life. I wanted something mild that I could take wherever I desired a boost. So I ordered 200 grams of Phenibut HCL from a trusted online vendor. It came with a scoop measuring approximately 500 milligrams. It's been a few years since I've taken it, so I figured I'll start out low. 500 milligrams on an empty stomach is what I started with. I forgot how long it takes to fully kick in. About 45 minutes in, I felt a mood lift, so I began writing. In two hours, I peaked. At that point, I decided to go for a walk. It was beautiful outside. It was more than just the nice weather. The Fenibut eased my mind enough to be more mindful. I began noticing things I never had before. I've walked the same path a countless number of times, but this time was different. Everything was brighter and came with much greater detail. I enjoyed looking around. I went home and felt I could have gone a little higher of a dose. I wanted to find that sweet spot. I enjoyed the rest of the day reading and writing. Sleeping was great. I slept like a newborn, minus the crying. Best rest I've had in a very long time. A full day has passed and I loaded up a water bottle of 1500 milligrams of Phenibut. This time, peaking was just how I wished it to be. I work in retail, so I socialize a lot. The Phenibut was perfect for this. I love people, so it was nice to be able to converse with ease. I felt I was more creative in conversation and a better listener. I became more sensitive to others' emotions. All I wanted to do was sit and talk with others, and I did just that. At some points, I asked customers to meet with me at break time just to chat. Not that I felt I needed to chat, rather I enjoy being with people. I felt like the old me before drugs took over my life. Phenibut seemed to help me be me. 
I didn't feel drugged up or high, I just felt better. After work, while walking home, I felt the breeze, smelled the flowers, and enjoyed being mindful of the sights. It was almost like my senses were much more sensitive. I felt alive. I went home and did some reading and writing again. The whole day was a good day. Once again, I slept great. I did this for around a week. I found out if I dose another 1500 milligrams later in the day, I would get more of a high, where I was more in a drunken state. Although you couldn't tell I was high, I felt total bliss, as if nothing could bother me. I run a meditation group, and in this group, I was more comfortable leading the meditation. I felt more confident and felt as if it was one of the better meditations. Sitting in absolute quiet came with ease and euphoria. I could sit for hours and be totally okay with that. At this point in my Fenibut use, I truly felt like I was progressing in life. It wasn't until a month or so later, it became a detriment to both my health and my life. Tolerance builds up very quickly with Fenibut, so I kept having to up my dose. A month or so in, I was taking 4 grams every morning and 4 grams every evening. I started adding Kratom to the mix. Taking it with my Fenibut felt great. I loved life, but I knew deep inside this wasn't healthy for me. I kept going through. I did feel more drugged up than when I first started taking this Fenibut. Once I dosed up every morning, I became incredibly stimulated. I would organize my room and clean the house. Things I used to do on meth. You couldn't tell I was high by looking at me. This is one of the dangers of Fenibut because I'd act somewhat normal and look fine. I was able to better hide my addiction. I had to start better managing my money. I was spending $100 a week on Kratom and about $60 a month on Fenibut. I always had to make sure I got my Kratom before the store closes and make sure I had the money for it. The Fenibut I was ordering online, so I had to time it just right. I order a week prior before I thought I would run out. This is when I knew I couldn't keep this up for long. All this planning and money management was well too familiar for me. It is no different than my previous drug addictions. How could I have not seen this coming? I didn't want to quit because life was going all too well for me. Two months or so into my Fenibut addiction, I began doing research into Fenibut withdrawals. It didn't seem too bad, however, my dosage was unheard of. I was at 12 grams once a day every morning. Geez, I thought to myself. How could I have gone to this high of a dose so quickly without my noticing? I had to stop. What if I had to go somewhere where I can't get my Fenibut? What will happen to me? So I started tapering down, 500 milligrams a day, which is a very large amount. Using the Kratom really eased my withdrawal symptoms and I was able to get down to about 8 grams no problem. However, I somehow convinced myself it was going to be fine and I would quit later. So once again, I started upping my dose about a gram a day for a while. At one point, I didn't order my Fenibut on time, so being at around 8 grams a day with maybe 15 grams left, I had no choice but to ration what I have left. It would arrive in three days, so I figured I'd take 8 grams one day, 7 the next, and nothing the following day until it arrives. 
Well, the day it was supposed to arrive, it didn't. It was late. This is when I started experiencing some serious withdrawal symptoms. Hours after when I should have had my morning dose, I began feeling an overwhelming sense of dread and worthlessness, so I laid down and attempted to sleep. Just like benzo withdrawal, I began to get what I call the fear, where at random times I'd be flooded with anxiety and a feeling of impending doom. Later in the day while laying down, I was experiencing somewhat of a hypnotic state where I would see flashes of images accompanied with odd strange thoughts. I'd snap out of it and fall into it again. I kept forgetting where I was at and who I was. This is identical with benzodiazepine withdrawal for me. I had no idea that Phenibut, a legal and well-respected drug, would cause such adverse side effects. I started to have muscle spasms, signs of a potential seizure coming my way. I was so out of it, I couldn't tell you if I had slept at all or if I was in a psychotic state the whole time. The next morning, I raced to the local store and purchased some Phenibut capsules, just enough to hold me off until my package arrives. The Phenibut I purchased came with 100 caps containing 100 milligrams of Phenibut each. I ate the entire thing. Hours passed and I felt great, and finally, my package arrived. Five months in, and I'm at 22 grams once every morning. I mentally feel fine, just mildly drugged up, but felt great mentally. However, I began vomiting once the kratom had kicked in. Then every morning, I'd practically piss out of my ass. My bowels were unpredictable and nearly impossible to control. I'd run to the bathroom at random times throughout the day. So I kind of figure this is not good. Perhaps I'm doing some serious damage to my insides. I should consider tapering again, but how am I going to do this? I have virtually no control over this addiction. At work, a customer left a backpack behind. Looking into the bag, I found a full prescription of Abilify. No use for that, so I tossed it. However, I found another full script that read Breviact, 100 milligrams. I've never heard of this before. After some quick Google research, I found out it's a racetam. I'm very familiar with the racetam family. Perhaps this may be of use to my tapering down. Come to find out, its properties are comparable to Alprazolam. Wow, what a lucky find. I popped one. I looked at the time. It was 3.10 p.m. I anxiously waited for the effects. I'm used to popping newly discovered pills, so I wasn't worried about an interaction, overdose, or unwanted side effects. I was definitely expecting a high though. Bam! It was 4.05 p.m. and I felt really relaxed. Very similar to a mild dose of Alprazolam. The difference was I felt wobbly, more on the drunk side. It was mild, however, so I could still keep my composure. There were 59 more of these magic pills left. This is just what I needed for my taper. The following day, I went from 22 grams to 15 grams. I wanted to do this quickly. The Brivaracetam needs to last for my taper. Knowing myself though, I'll be blasting through these. They are more than just something to help me get off Phenibut. They are now a new high added to my daily routine. Once the Phenibut kicked in, I was mildly depressed. I wanted to wait for the withdrawals to get more severe for me to start taking the Breviact. 
About 15 hours after my 15 gram dose, I took two pills of Berviact. It was 200 milligrams worth. Then I tossed a few grams of Kratom in me as well, more than usual. I began to feel pretty damn good. I was incredibly relaxed both physically and mentally. Off to work I go. Throughout the day, I continued dosing on my Kratom and Berviact. The Berviact high increased so much over time, I felt practically wasted by the end of my shift. I had an enormous smile that nothing could have turned it around. The euphoria was incredibly powerful in this stuff. I can successfully taper without a problem now. It's tough to tell, however, because the half-life of Fenibut is rather long. I believe it's close to 10 hours, so it's possible my withdrawal won't peak for a couple days. As the days went by, I continued dropping my Fenibut dose a few grams a day while upping my Briviact and Kratom dose. My days were free of anxiety and very productive. I went down to around 5 grams of Fenibut, which is my current dose. I plan to stay with it for a while. I couldn't have tapered so easily if it wasn't for the Kratom and Briviact. I totally underestimated the strength of Fenibut withdrawal. Never again will I reach such a high dose I was at with Fenibut. Currently, I'm using the Briviac to write and socialize. I don't feel the need to use it for my taper. I can taper slowly and with ease without it. Please be careful with Fenibut use. As I said, tolerance builds very quickly. If need be, take breaks to avoid the negative effects. What better place to trip than Joshua Tree National Park? This was a universal agreement between two of my friends and I as we departed on another Southern California road trip. Shrooms had been on the agenda, but managed to elude all of our efforts to obtain them. So after an eight hour drive over the course of a night, I found myself standing on the Martian landscape, holding a bottle of ground nutmeg and a bottle of spring water. After watching my buddy Brian attempt to down 25 grams mixed with canned pears, I decided that speed was the key to success in downing this incredibly morbid tasting concoction. I downed the spring water and mixed all 25 grams with approximately two cups of Coca-Cola. Well accustomed to consuming gross protein shakes, I wasn't expecting the extremely horrible grainy mixture's taste. My other friend Victor opted, at first, to skip the entire ordeal after observing our suffering. Well, after an hour of setting up camp in a beautifully secluded box canyon, I was feeling no effects aside from a few nasty burps and set out to do some early evening bouldering. We each had one of those small Motorola two-way radios to keep in contact, and after climbing a towering 200-foot rock pile, I enjoyed a cigarette while watching the sunset. It was at this time that I felt the first twinges of anxiety. These feelings grew more pronounced when I realized that I now had to find a way back down to the campsite from atop a now seemingly vertical route. I watched in wonder and amazement as my two buddies appeared to traverse easily back down the maze of rocks, leaving me stranded and confused as to a course of action. Not wanting to appear afraid, I began my descent only to find myself trembling and paranoid as every rock seemed to be incredibly steep and impossible. 
It took me a good 30 minutes to ease my way down a route that should have taken no more than five. And all this time, the incessant sarcastic guidance over the radio from my buddies below wasn't helping my situation. Once I reached solid ground, I realized that I was really tripping. No visuals, but the body high was amazing. It was very similar to being extremely stoned, but I noticed no loss of energy. My friends and I each perched ourselves on different outcroppings around the campsite and started talking to each other via the radios. It was at this point that my visual perceptions changed. Everything took on a pronounced three-dimensional aspect and I felt as though we were really just little aliens on a foreign planet. Distance became impossible to perceive and every word that came over the radio caused me to burst out laughing uncontrollably. I felt like the rock that I was sitting on was the top of my own little world and that I was holding a discussion with the rulers of the two other worlds that were within eyesight and earshot yet incredibly distant at the same time. A truly unusual summit of the minds. Soon after this, I became extremely dizzy. Everything whirled around me, and when I closed my eyes, it became worse. I managed to make it to my tent and lie down, which helped minimally. I figured some music might help, hoping to alleviate my distress. I put on Black Sabbath's Volume 4 and laid back wishing that I could just clear my mind. By now, nausea had set in and was getting quite bad. As the song Wheels of Confusion rolled my mind in circles, I knew that I was going to puke but couldn't drag myself outside. A few tunes later, I desperately pulled myself from the tent and stumbled to a nearby bush where I engaged in the most painful and disgusting wretch of my life. The entire time this was happening, I was dimly aware that a stranger had somehow wandered his way onto our campsite. A strange occurrence indeed, considering we were in the middle of nowhere. And I could hear my friend Brian trying to half-heartedly explain my situation to this mysterious person, who was later nicknamed The Dude. Although the retching had helped, I was still quite sick and retired to my tent for the remainder of the evening to let Sabbath administer its medicine. I had heard that hallucinations were common after the first eight hours and in fact did experience one mystifying perception of a yellow speck of light on my sleeping bag. It seemed so real that I attempted to grab at it to determine its existence and it jumped outside my grasp about six inches to the left. Quite mystified, I stared at it for a few seconds longer and it disappeared. I managed to fall asleep after another hour of discomfort and spent the next day in a painful hangover. In fact, I felt as if I had a bad case of the flu. I was able to revive myself somewhat after a campfire meal of mac and cheese and was up and about by nighttime. Although, it took another 24 hours to regain all of my senses completely. In retrospect, I probably took too large of a dosage. Both Brian and Victor had pleasant trips which they compared to a typical marijuana high. I would even be tempted to try it again if it weren't for the awful taste.